I'm Tony Quello, and I'm the author of the ADA. I am totally committed to supporting Hillary Clinton for president. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone, and we appreciate that vote of support by Tony Coelho. Hey, folks, one week to go, one week to go. You better get out there and vote. As Justin Dart said, vote as if your life depends upon it, because it does. And speaking of Justin, hey, Yoshiko Dart, I just want to send you a special shout-out. And I was just with Yoshiko at the White House as we were celebrating President Obama's success in seeing 100,000 people with disabilities hired in the federal government actually it was 150000 So it was such an honor for me, not only to be there, but to be with Yoshiko Dart. And, uh, you know, we have had Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield as our major sponsor and Covestro through all of 2016, so I want to thank them also. But here we are today, and guess what we're kicking off? We're kicking off National Epilepsy Month, and as all of you know, I'm a woman living with epilepsy, and this is very personal to me, so I always celebrate this month, and I always have on at least once or twice leaders, champions in the world of epilepsy, and today, our guest, Donna Stahlhut, I have known since I got involved with the Epilepsy Foundation. I can tell you she has worked nonstop in the field. She founded the Foundation of Texas over 30 years ago. But I will say this, she is the real deal, and I have only the highest respect for her. So, Donna Stahlhut, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Joyce. Um, The feeling is mutual. Uh, There is nobody who has done more um, in promoting people with epilepsy than Joyce Bender, and I salute her as we celebrate National Epilepsy Month. Well, thank you so much, Donna. And here you have this huge epilepsy affiliate in Texas um, that you started 30 years ago, which is unbelievable. So, what caused you to do this? I mean, what, what caused you to become such a passionate advocate? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the way life takes so many twists and turns. Epilepsy was never a word I knew. It was never anything on my radar screen until I was the mother of a nine-month-old baby boy who had a long, a one-hour seizure with a high fever. And um, those are known as febrile seizures, and usually they're benign and they go away. In my son's instance, it, it lasted an hour, so it was certainly life-threatening. And and then life, our life returned normal until he was five. And at the age of five, uh, this little boy, Derek, um, started to do behave strangely. And I couldn't figure out exactly what he was doing, but I would look at him and he would be rubbing his fingers together and he, or he'd have a strange look on his face. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And eventually um, I thought I really need to take him in to see his pediatrician because there's something not right here. I didn't know what it was. I had no clue. And so we made an appointment, and she said, I think you need to see a neurologist. So we set up an appointment that was like three months away. And then one day, he came in from outdoors, and his legs went up from under him, and he just collapsed. And at that point, we took him to the emergency room, or he then had the opportunity to see the pediatric neurologist um, much more quickly. Um, as it turns out, she did an EEG, and she came into the room and said, you know, I suspect he has a complex partial seizure disorder. And I said, I, I, I don't... 
you know, what, what is that? Is that epilepsy? And I still to this day do not know why I asked that question um, because she didn't say the word epilepsy at all. And she said, yes. So that began a long process that went on for really four horrible years in which he was having countless seizures, um, trying all different kinds of medicines. At one point he was on five medicines and he was a zombie and he would be in and out of the hospital being over-medicated until we finally found the right pediatric neurologist who was able to help us. And we discovered um, when he was eight years old that he might be a candidate for epilepsy surgery. Um, and as terrifying as that was, it was a, a chance for hope that we weren't not achieving with all the medications that he was on, um, you know, and it was very hard to believe when he was eight years old that here was a child who might not someday be able to drive or would have great difficulty finding a job, great difficulty supporting himself having children of his own, um, but he turned out to be a surgical candidate, and he had the very last seizure he has ever had when he was on his way to the operating room for the surgery that would stop those devastating seizures, and um, when he was 11, he came off of all medications. I always have a hard time remembering how old he is now. He's in his early 40s, and he has a 10-year-old little girl, my my beautiful granddaughter, that I realize now would not have been possible if his life had continued the way it had. So at the end of all of that struggle and um what you have to realize, I was living in the fourth largest city in the United States. I was living in Houston, and I could not find any information about epilepsy anywhere. Those were in the days before the Internet, so I couldn't connect with anything. Um, I would go to the library, and there would be no books in the library, and there was, most importantly, no epilepsy foundation in the fourth largest city in the country. Wow. And so I thought, you know, this is, this is not right. I didn't know nothing about forming an organization or running an organization, but I knew something had to change. So with the help of some friends and my son's doctors, and there were many of them, um, we formed a board of directors and put a phone in my kitchen, and I started answering the phone. And in those early days, I wondered, is this phone ever going to ring? I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I put a phone in. Uh, but then it never stopped ringing. And um, so that was how the phone foundation was born in Texas. Wow. And you know what? That wasn't really that long ago when you think about the fact that there weren't books in the library and that there wasn't, you know, an affiliate in the, as you said, the fourth largest city. Um, I mean, and, and sadly, there are still cities, you know, where there is not an affiliate. And it seems that the same problem occurs, which is, People not knowing, hey, what the heck is going on? It's so funny that how you explained that, Donna, because if I had, until I had that accident at the movie theater, as a result of my epilepsy being misdiagnosed, I too never thought of epilepsy and mm-hmm. didn't know anything about epilepsy. It's amazing how things, you know, go from not knowing anything to it becoming such a major part of your life. But I say that because anyone listening to the show right now, remember, one in 26 people will have epilepsy in their lifetime, and that could be you or that could be, you know, a close family member, that could be anyone. Um, And, Donna, I have found, and I'm sure you see this, that sometimes there are so many different types of seizures that people don't even know what a seizure is. That's very correct. That's very correct. And, and, um, and so it really is important, you know, epilepsy is identified by history. Um, and, and thank goodness now, I mean, things have progressed enough that people now have access to cell phones where they can take a picture of somebody having a seizure and show it to the physician, which gives everybody a better idea of what is happening. But, but epilepsy, as you know, well know, Joyce, is, is really, um, a, 
it is recurring seizures. So if you have two or more seizures, um, you're, you're, it is called epilepsy. And, and, and it, and it, um, it, it is so insidious. So, um, it can begin with abnormal electrical activity in the brain. So it is this extra electrical surge called a seizure that happens and recurring seizure simply means epilepsy. And anyone at any time in their life can develop epilepsy. Um, and the, and part of the problem is that these, there are so many seizure types that often go unrecognized. There are basically two types of seizures. One is a seizure that covers the entire part of area of the brain, and that's a generalized seizure. And the two most common types of that seizure are an absence seizure, which is most frequently seen in children, and the, and they and they're frequently diagnosed in the in this classroom because it's thought the child isn't paying attention. The child may smack their lips, they may blink their eyes, and they can fade in and out of consciousness. So they're missing parts of conversation. Now, if there's maybe one or two of those a day, you know, child goes on and nobody realizes anything is happening. But if there are more than that, and there could be like up to 60 a day that the child is seizing in and out and then begins to notice, you know, somebody is not paying attention. Um, and so sometimes these kids diagnose themselves. But after, after we do some epilepsy education in the classroom, they say, oh, that's what I have. Um, and that kind of seizure, children frequently outgrow. The other type of seizure, which is um, actually one, is the one that everybody thinks of when they think of epilepsy is called a generalized tonic-clonic seizure. And so the person who has that, when they begin to have the seizure, may give a cry out and then their body, if they're standing, they will fall to the ground. Um, their, their body becomes extremely rigid, which is the tonic part of the seizure. And then as the seizure progresses, it becomes a clonic seizure, so there's muscle, muscle jerking. Um, that kind, um, you know, if you are are, especially an adult having that kind of seizure, um, my hat goes out to all those people who go out to work every day never knowing what might happen because that takes a tremendous amount of courage to realize that, I mean, if you can imagine this would happen to you in your work environment, in your social environment. And so it can be embarrassing to the person who's having it because the people around them have no idea what to do do not understand what epilepsy is. And that kind of seizure um, is actually one of the easier kinds to control with medication. A type of seizure that originates, and the other end, so I've described for you the two types. One is this generalized one that's affecting the entire brain. The other ones are partial seizures. And the most difficult of the partial seizures is one that is called a complex partial seizure. And that's the kind that my son had. And those are much more difficult to control with medications. So people who have that kind of seizure are not conscious of what is going on around them. If you have a simple seizure, you might move your hand, you might move your foot, but a complex partial seizure, the person loses consciousness in some way. Um, they're not aware of what's going on. They may be walking around, they may be pulling out their clothes, they may run, they may do very odd things. And sometimes those people are believed to be mentally ill by somebody who's watching them, are believed to have been on drugs or alcohol. Um, and so that kind of seizure is also very difficult. That kind of seizure can also, as it did in my son's case, progress to a much more generalized seizure. So it was spread through the brain. Now, uh, and thank you. That was an excellent uh, explanation of those seizures. Uh, Donna, what about if a person is partially con- uh, conscious? What would that be? Um, if they're partially conscious, um, you know, they can hear you. Uh, so, so when you're with them, and, and always in different seizures, um, it's important to be reassuring the person who, who you observe having the seizure. So if it's a partial seizure and, and they're, and they can hear you, um, you just reassure them you're with them and you will keep them safe. If it is this complex partial seizure and, um, and you see them wandering around, they may wander into traffic, they may wander into harm's way, it's important to stay with them and kind of guide them to where they need to 
be. If it is a tonic-clonic seizure, this generalized convulsion, um, it's important to help ease them to the ground, put something soft under their head, turn them to their side, and um, and reassure them. And if it lasts longer than five minutes, it's important to call for an ambulance because that is a medical emergency. Um, and you can identify sometimes people with epilepsy will be wearing um, a medic alert explaining what what they have. Um, If a seizure comes in and out, you you come out of one seizure and you go directly into another one, it's also important to call for medical help. Mm -hmm. So it would be possible for the person to be, I'll say, semi-conscious, even though they cannot um, manage the way you would if you weren't having a seizure. That is correct. That is correct. And so sometimes there is this misdiagnosis. I mean, you know, sometimes people are arrested who are having a seizure because they are not responding to the police appropriately. Um, and um, so that that is certainly a dilemma for people who have that particular type of seizure. Wow. Yes, and I want you to know what Don is talking about uh, police have tased people, arrested people, uh, because they didn't understand what was happening. And, you know, everyone thinks that the majority of people have uh, tonic-clonic seizures, better known to you as the grand mal seizure, but that isn't true. More people have absence and, uh, absence and complex partial seizures, but it's just people don't understand that or recognize it. I think the only thing people know is if someone has a convulsion. Correct, correct. And epilepsy is so common. Um, There are 65 million people in the world who have epilepsy. That is as, as much as the population of France, more than the population of Spain. It is the fourth most common neurological disorder. It's as common as breast cancer and it takes just as many lives. It's estimated that up to 50,000 people die each year from epilepsy or epilepsy-related incidents. Um, and, uh, you know, as you said before, one in 26 people in, the, in their lifetime will have a seizure, will have epilepsy. Right. And uh, it, it just can happen, in, as you said, in any way. Uh, Donna, one question I had for you. You were talking about, you know, misdiagnosis, and that does happen frequently. What would you suggest for um, someone that maybe their child, you know, just started having these unusual symptoms that you described? Uh, would you suggest they just go to a family doctor, or what would you suggest? Well, you know, usually... Um, with a child, I mean, usually your first line is with a pediatrician. I mean, you know, they see all kinds of things, and, and pediatricians really see quite a bit of epilepsy. I mean, it is one of the more common things they see, and they will usually refer somebody on pretty quickly to a neurologist. Um, and, and depending, and, and some of that depends on where you are. So, for instance, if you're in a major city like Houston or Dallas or Pittsburgh or Miami, your chances of getting into a pediatric neurologist are much higher than if you are in other areas of Texas, say in Abilene, Texas. So it, it really is important um, that that people be aware that, um, you know, there's this first line, but then you need to move quickly um, uh, um, to people who have much more experience with epilepsy. And then beyond even neurologists, there are people specifically trained in the field of epilepsy called epileptologists who, um, you know, if if it were my child, I would, you know, move as quickly as I could to have that evaluation made. And part of that reason for the importance of that is that that medical evaluation will will help determine the kind of medication that is used Um, because there are certain medications that are used for certain types of seizures. So it's very important to identify the seizure type, to identify the appropriate medication, and then equally important 
And I was just on the phone with a mother of um, a young man who is having uncontrolled seizures. He's 15. He's been having seizures since he was 12. Um, and I was visiting with her about surgery because the 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 most um, current medical expertise in all of this is that if you've gone and you've tried one medicine, perhaps two and things are not working, you need to be sent to a specialist in the treatment of epilepsy who can decide, is this young person or older person a candidate for epilepsy surgery? Because the sooner you can get seizures under control, the sooner this young person will have for a a much more productive life, much greater chances of being able to drive, hold a job, get married, have children, um, support themselves. That is, and and not experience um, a lack of esteem and sometimes the shame that comes from living with epilepsy because people have a tendency to pull in, not talk about it, not want to go out um, where they can be exposed to danger or um be bullied or humiliated. Yeah, that is so true. And actually that leads me to my next question. You know, uh Donna, um as you and my listeners know, I was sent by the State Department to South Korea um, for my expertise in the employment of people with disabilities to meet with different groups. And one of the groups that I did meet with uh, were four neurologists that worked in the area of epilepsy, among other neurological uh, disorders. And the first thing they told me was, don't say that word, epilepsy. We say cerebroelectric disorder uh, because of the stigma, you know, the stigma mm-hmm. attached with the word. Uh, mm-hmm. But even here in the United States, there is a stigma because many times when I speak at a company, Afterwards, someone will come up to me and say, even though you said don't be ashamed, I would never tell anyone, and I have epilepsy. So, I mean, this happens to me frequently. My question for you is why? Why do you think there is such a stigma, and as you said, so much shame admitting you live with epilepsy? Mm -hmm. I, I can just go back to myself. I mean, when I heard that word epilepsy, it just stuck in my throat with my son. I couldn't get it out. And, um, and, and, and then I remember, um, that I was at something and I thought, well, I hope these people don't think I have this. And that brought me great shame because I thought, how can I possibly be thinking that? Um, the, the man who brought the, the doctor who brought the EEG machine to Houston back in the forties told me that when he first came to Houston, he, he would go out socially and he, he never met anybody who had epilepsy, never met anyone who had epilepsy in their family, nothing. Nobody would talk about it. And he said it was at some point after he'd been here about 10 years, somebody told them their dog had epilepsy. And he thought, well, I'm making some progress here. Um, I was at an event a week ago, and and one of our premier um, neurologists, epileptologists in Houston was talking to me about when he first came here. He said, I can really see the difference that people are not afraid to talk about epilepsy anymore. And, you know, we've had that whole talk about it campaign. He said, people now will say it, will start. It's It's not as stigmatized as it was. It certainly still is, and it goes back to those old thoughts that it was demon possession, that it's possession by the devil, and some of that is still out there. I mean, I've I've heard of that. I've heard it preached from different pulpits in this city that people have called me and said, you will not believe that this was what was said. Um, I've heard of a grandmother who, um, she was a Hispanic grandmother and she was told she couldn't see her grandchildren because she had epilepsy and they thought it would be contagious and her grandchildren would catch it. All of those are old wives' tales. They're all myths that have surrounded epilepsy because it's such a mysterious disorder. Um, somebody is perfectly normal and then you see them 
as we say, losing control, and that is not a flattering image that anyone has. And so it really is important. It's really important to the the Epilepsy Foundation as we work, especially with children, um, to make sure that they realize they're not alone, that there is no shame in having this. And we have, you know, over the last 30 years, we've taken – over 5,000 kids to camp. And that is so important because they get to see, hey, I'm not the only person who has this. This is okay. I've got friends here. And then they can go out and back into their classroom during the regular year and begin to explain epilepsy to their friends. Um, So I see that changing. It is, however, still there. Right, and for you young people living with epilepsy, you should not be ashamed. You should never be ashamed. And may I tell you that you all know who Prince is, who sadly passed away, but did you know he lived with epilepsy? Um, And did you know that the star of uh, Pawn Stars lives with epilepsy? And did you know that Alan Fanica, Pittsburgh Steelers, lives with epilepsy. What I'm telling you is there are so many people and it does not stop you from being successful. You should never, ever, ever be ashamed that you are a person living with epilepsy because there are so many more people that do. It's just they haven't told you. And with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we're talking to Donna Stallhut the Chief Executive Officer of Epilepsy Foundation of Texas, Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, West Texas, in other words, all of Texas. This is Joyce Bender celebrating National Epilepsy Month on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Donna. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back, everyone. What a great show we're having. And this is National Epilepsy Month, and we are talking to Donna Stallhut, the CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of Texas. That includes Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, West Texas. I mean, it is a powerful organization. Uh, and, Donna, I want to talk about something for a few minutes that I must tell you. I did not know about until, I don't know, you know, eight years ago, whatever it was, because even though I have epilepsy and even though I was on the national board, it was just not talked about, and that would be SUDEP. Um, And so few people know about it, including people living with epilepsy like me or parents of children living with epilepsy. So... For our listeners, could you talk about it and tell everyone what it is? Mm-hmm. 
Um, SUDEP means sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. And it has, uh, physicians have known about this for a number of years, but have been always uncomfortable speaking to families about it because um, for the most part, families of living with kids with epilepsy, one of the fears they have is their child is going to die. I mean, you see your child having a seizure and that's what you think and you see them turning blue because they're not getting enough oxygen and those are what your thoughts are. So um, so physicians have been uncomfortable talking about it um, and it has only come to the forefront in the last few years. And what it means is that a SUDEP occurs in a person with epilepsy who dies unexpectedly, and they were previously in a usual state of health. Um, and the death isn't known to be related to an accident or a seizure emergency like status epilepticus, which means recurring seizures. And once you do an autopsy, it doesn't show a cause of death. Um, each year, about one out of a thousand people with epilepsy die from SUDEP. And it occurs most frequently in people with epilepsy whose seizures are poorly controlled. So those people who have uncontrolled seizures, one out of a hundred may die from SUDEP each year. So they, so those are the people that this information is critically important to. Um, when I was talking about the family of the young man who's having seizures and, and I was trying to talk to them about how the importance of moving quickly to surgery, um, uh, one of the Houston physician was telling me last week that in Houston it takes 13 years from the time the diagnosis is made to the time somebody gets moved to surgery. For people with uncontrolled seizures, this is critically important um, because those are the those are the people who are at greatest risk for SUDEP. And it SUDEP takes more lives each year in the United States than SID, sudden infant death syndrome. And um and it I'm sorry, the what? If it more people die from SUDEP than from SIDS, sudden Wow uh, sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah. And um and SUDEP is the the leading cause of death in young people um with uncontrolled epilepsy. So the people who are at risk are those um that epilepsy begins early in life and they've had epilepsy for a long time and they are and another high risk are people who aren't taking their medicines as prescribed. Or if somebody decides they want to stop their medicine suddenly, they're at great risk for SUDEP. And they're usually young, between the ages of 20 and 40. And a significant population have some intellectual disability also. But as you can imagine, this is devastating for families, who usually what happens is that the young person, the parents walk into the bedroom, the person doesn't come out, the child or the young adult doesn't come out, and the parents go in and they discover that they died during the night. Oh, my God. And I cannot possibly envision how horrible that would be. I know from uh, Peggy... Here in Pittsburgh, I know that every time that happens, the whole office is so upset, as I'm sure it's the same with you Certainly. and your staff. But then to not have any idea what it is is, is terrible. Yes. And I was visiting with a young man today. He's 26. He's been a counselor with us at our children's camp for years and years. He had epilepsy as a child growing up. He ended up having epilepsy surgery in his early 20s, and he has been seizure-free ever since. And so I was visiting with him today about talking to this family that I've been talking to you about where um, the child is a surgical candidate, and they're very concerned. They really aren't. They're worried about having surgery. And so I was visiting with him about, you know, can you talk to them? And so he said, I would be happy to. He said, I was resistant to have surgery also. But he said, you know, I kept fighting it and fighting it. And he said, I went in to my doctor and he is saying to me, look, you are at risk for having SUDEP. 
You just need to know that. So you can say you don't want surgery, but you are at risk. And then what happened to this young man was that his friend from camp, who he'd known forever and ever, died from SUDEP. Oh. And he said, that was it. I had surgery after that because I realized how dangerous this is. Oh, my. How terrible. And you know... This is why, you know, uh, during this election, disability, you know, folks, disability is so important. For example, pre-existing conditions is so critical for people living with epilepsy. Um, Disability, period, is so important for all of us to look at. And with that, I know that we have... Uh, a special message here from Secretary Clinton. So let's go ahead and see what she has to say. You know, uh, the rights of uh, people with disabilities is something that I care uh, deeply about, and we've got to do much more than we're doing. I tried really hard to get the um, UN-negotiated Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities to pass our Senate, because it's a treaty, and we, we couldn't get it through the Republicans, and it was such a disappointment. Uh, their attitude was, we're not signing on to anything that the UN does, which is kind of strange since air traffic control and postal systems and a lot of other stuff actually have some UN connection. But that's the level of you know, Tea Party mentality that, unfortunately, we are uh, living with. And so I want us to do much more here at home. I still want to get the convention uh, agreed to. So I think there are a number of things. Specifically with respect to autism, as you know, I've laid out a plan. I'm the only person running for president. I did it in 08. I've done it again this time. Because we've got to do much more. We have to do much more on research, early intervention, job training, housing, the whole range of... uh, benefits and opportunities that need to be available to people on the spectrum. So that's going to be a high priority for me, and I'm glad you're here talking about it. When it comes to jobs, um, we've got to figure out how we get the minimum wage up and include people with disabilities in the minimum wage. There should not be uh, a tiered wage, and right now there is a tiered wage when it comes to facilities that do provide opportunities, but not at a self-sufficient wage that enable people to gain a degree of independence as far as they can go. So I want us to take a hard look at raising the minimum wage and ending the the tiered minimum wage. Wow, wow, how powerful is that? I just want to say, and Donna knows this, people with autism frequently have epilepsy. Um, Isn't that correct, Donna, that they can go hand in hand? Yes. Yes, it is. So, you know, epilepsy kind of goes hand in hand with many other neurological conditions. So there there is a, a strong link between epilepsy and these other conditions. Right. Well, you know, Donna, and thank you to uh, Secretary Clinton and the campaign uh, for those words because, boy, we need support, that's for sure. Uh, speaking of support, Donna, I know you know I am all about employment for people with disabilities, and I must say, sadly, epilepsy is one of those areas where it is extremely hard for people to gain employment why do you think that is? What do you What do you think is the reason? Well, you know, I mean, it's it's estimated that the uh, the uh, unemployment rate among people with epilepsy is two to four times higher than the general population, and there are certain there are certain contributing factors. First is the ability to get to a job. And so, um, you know, if you're living in a rural area, to be able to get from your home to where you work is especially difficult if you have no transportation. If you live in certain areas where public transit is much easier um, than it is in Houston, which is one of the worst, it's, it's easier 
to get a job. And then there's also the issue that people with epilepsy have. Um, once they get there and once they get the job because they're able to do it, um, if they have a seizure on the job, um, we know that people, employers, know that you don't fire someone because they have epilepsy. But um, in many instances, they may fire somebody because they're frightened by what this may look like in the workplace. They're frightened if this person is in front of customers and has a seizure. And so all of those things have have just devastating impact for people with epilepsy who are trying to get and keep a job. Yes, that is so true. I mean, the transportation, the, and I just and, and about what you just talked about uh, about having a seizure at work. This is why people are so afraid to disclose that they live with epilepsy. They're so afraid they'll be treated differently. They have that fear you talked about, where you don't have control, you don't know what could happen. I said the other day, my company, my corporate office, we have to be like the best place if you're going to have a seizure because we've had people. I had someone uh, that worked here as an intern that only two months ago, you know, had a tonic-clonic seizure, and the the uh, response in the office was, okay, you know, we know what to do, but there was no screaming, yelling, freaking out, mm-hmm. uh, because everyone knows, because they've been educated. But sadly, there are employers that do not put up with that and seem to come up with a way of getting that person out of the company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have a young woman, I have a number of people who work for us who have epilepsy, and this young woman had been with us a few months, and she was asked to speak in front of uh, a, a it was the physicians on our board and the board of directors, and she was talking, and she suddenly stopped talking, and she couldn't proceed. And her doctor happened to be in the audience, and she said, I'm having a seizure. And so I took over and spoke for her. And then when she could speak again, she just, she said, I am so embarrassed and I am so humiliated. And we were all saying, no, no, you shouldn't be. I mean, you were in the perfect place for this to happen. I mean, this is a very friendly audience um, who, you know, most of them had never seen that kind of seizure before. And certainly her doctor was happy to see it because he'd never seen her have a seizure before. Whoever thought that would happen, huh? Mm-hmm. But I yeah, think that's it, how it is here. That's exactly that how it is feel. here at our our office. Um, and what's amazing is how people aren't ashamed because you know they know I'm living with epilepsy, and mm-hmm. uh, and everyone here has a disability. So uh, you know we get it, but that doesn't make a difference that people are embarrassed, ashamed, and it, mm-hmm. it's because of how people make them feel. And Donna, I just want to say, I admire you so much for what you do with those camps. And I am making up my mind I'm going to get to one of these camps because I am all about young people um, and and especially young people living with epilepsy. And I think that's so wonderful what you do because I have to tell you, if you're in seventh grade and you have a tonic-clonic seizure uh, at school in the hall, it is a horrible day when it comes to bullying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. And, you know, and one of the things that we do in all of our camps is we talk about those kinds of things. How do you handle those kinds of situations if, if somebody is bullying you? You know, wh- what do you do? Um, how, do you, how do you cope with the outside world once you leave here? And, and, the, and the amazing thing is that, you know, all of these kids can stay connected with each other throughout the year, and, and they do. That is their life support system. Oh, that is, that is wonderful. And, you know, this bullying, it does, it does go on. And, you know, I mean, I remember being at those talk about it. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, speak up, speak out events where someone would say, I was invited to a party and then the mother didn't want me to go because she found out I had epilepsy and didn't want me to be at the sleepover. And I just want to say to anyone listening to the show, 
please don't do that. And you know what else? If you're a parent, don't say when your child is growing up in school, don't say, shh, don't tell anyone. Because mm-hmm. you know what you're saying, right? That there's something wrong with them. I mean, I understand if when the person goes on an interview at a company to not tell until they get the job offer. But, you know, you can't reinforce this fear of living with epilepsy. You just can't do it because it does shadow the person for the rest of their life. And, Donna, I'm sure you see that frequently. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is extremely important. Um, you know, and sometimes it's really not the severity of the child's epilepsy. It is, it is the parent's reaction to it and, and how they work through it with the child um, as to whether that child has confidence and a, and a skill set going forward that gives them the ability to enter the world with some courage and determination. Right. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Well, you know what, Donna? You have done so much in your life. I mean, it is unbelievable how much you've accomplished. So someone, past or present, had to have had a strong impact on you in your life. Uh, who, who is your role model? Uh, well, you know, that's interesting. Um, I... I I always wanted to be a teacher. I mean, I was a teacher in my earlier life um, before epilepsy came into it. And so teaching has always been my real passion. Um, And I was inspired by that by my 7th and 8th grade teacher. I I went to a parochial school, a Lutheran school, and um, my teacher in those two years was also the principal, the organ player, the music teacher. I mean, he taught us everything. And he was such a kind, caring person. And he always talked to me about, you need to be a teacher. And so he really was my inspiration. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. See, little did he know, huh? (laughs) <laughs> what would happen and how many lives you would impact. It is amazing. Well, Donna, you know I said earlier about how much you've accomplished in your life, um, and you have, wow. I mean, I just think the world of you, Donna, 30 years, all as a result of your son. And you know what you did? You paid it forward, and that, that is that is just the mark of a great person with great character. Uh, but if you had to name one thing, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? Um, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, my family, my kids, my grandkids. But you know, I, I, I think, I think probably. Um, what gives me such great joy is the number of people whose lives have been changed because of the work that I, along with many, many other people, have done throughout the years. Um, we were we recently posted it was the 30th anniversary or 25th anniversary of our camping programs, and I told you over those 25 years we've taken 5,000 kids to camp, and they all go free, and. And so they were posting throughout um, this month um, of different camping scenes and pictures. And at one point, they posted a picture of me back in the early days with two young campers, and I had my arms around them. And so this was up on Facebook, and here's the miracle of Facebook. One of those little guys, who is now probably 35, um, sent a message to me saying, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I'm the little boy on the left, and camp was just the greatest thing that ever happened to me. So I thought, Wow, you know, that just, you know, filled my heart with joy because, um, because camp has been my love. I mean, as I said, teaching has been my love. So that has been my love over these last years. And to see what a change that has made in someone or all of these 5,000 kids is, is, brings me great joy. And I'll bet there's no price tag for that, right? No, there isn't. There isn't. I mean, that is just an unbelievable 
saying I can't imagine with 5,000 kids, if you meet any of them as young adults now, I can't imagine uh, how that feels. Uh, and they are coming you... back to us. That's the amazing thing. You know, I have um, I work with a board of directors in each of these areas of the state that we are in, and especially in the Houston area. I mean, these some of these people have been to camp with us for a number of years, and they'll show back up here. And and many of them are now on our board of directors. They're young, successful people who went to camp with us, and and now they're able to give back. And they are the str- some of the strongest volunteers we have. And some of them have a connection with that The Others didn't. There are so many kids who have gone to camp with us as as volunteers and had no connection to epilepsy and and became doctors because of it, became nurses because of it, um, and uh, or have gone into social fields that where they had no desire to go before. And so I I just think those kinds of community efforts and community involvement. Um, are so much lacking in our society today, and this is one way people can get involved. Yeah. Yeah, well, John, and my hat's off to you. That is a great thing that you're doing, and I know you will continue because we'll never let you retire, Donna. Well, I, I may never be able to be retired, so I don't. I don't know. I'm glad you're you're willing to keep working with me. Well, let me tell you, I'm not retiring. I'll be doing this till the day I die. So if I'm not, you're not, <laughs> right? That's so, perfect. Donna, what Certainly. message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Um, you know, I think. I mean, when you were asking me, you know, what what you think I've taken the most pride in accomplishing. I think that it is so important for everyone, no matter what it is that you do, to find something that brings joy to your life and something that makes you feel you're part of something bigger than what you are. Um, I, um, you know, I'm part of a bigger epilepsy movement. I'm part of people who are giving something back to their community, wherever that community is. Um, and, And I think that is so essential um, for everyone to feel their life is positive and productive and they're contributing. Yes. Yeah, I do too. And I think that is really great advice. And Donna, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. And this was so awesome. We're going to have you back if well, you don't thank mind. you. Well, with that, we end every show with a quote by someone that has impacted lives. And today, Epilepsy Month, it can be no one other than Tony Coelho, who said, I will never be ashamed of living with epilepsy. It is part of who I am. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.